Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. series called Names of God. Can you say the names of God? The names of God. And you're like, I thought God had like one name. Isn't it like God or Yahweh or Jehovah, like just different pronunciations or no, no, no. In, in the book, there's lots of different names of God that, that people call God to express and explain his character. And this is kind of what we're going through the past few weeks and in the next coming weeks and uh, I want to just do a little recap before we get in today's name, uh, which you kind of already knew was going to be Jehovah Jireh as we sang that song. And in the first week, about two weeks ago, um, we, uh, Pastor Chad launched this series, and I'm going to screw this up. So you can go back and watch uh, Chad's sermon on this, but it's Jehovah Magin. Is that right? I got it right? Oh, okay. Good job, Carlo. Good job. And what that means translated in the English is the Lord is my shield. Can you say Shield. Shield, the Lord is my shield. And here's the thing, you know, in this life, if you're a human being, you woke up this morning, you know that in this life, we're not promised a life without battles or struggles or temptations, but the word of God, okay, that says the Lord is our shield, Jehovah Magin, got it again, all right, good job, will protect us. He is our shield. He is our protector. He will cover us. He will fight for us. And then last week, we talked about Jehovah Shalom, which translates to the Lord is my peace. And here's the thing. Today, in our world, we hear these words, anxiety and depression more than ever, right? And on one side of the coin, that's a really good thing because we finally have come to this place. Now, it can, we can still work on it, but this place where we can be open and express how we are feeling instead of just submerge our feelings and push them down and not deal with them. But we actually feel safe and confident with a, maybe a a certain group of people or place or with counseling to be able to talk through all of these different feelings that we have. Anxiety and depression and all those kinds of things are the opposite of peace. But then on the other side of that coin is we hear these words desire, uh, anxiety and depression more than ever and it kind of makes my heart sad because what that means is that there's a lot, a lot of people, including myself on some days, that are not experiencing a peaceful life. But the word of God says that God is our peace, our Jehovah Shalom. God's kind of peace, Scripture says, goes beyond all of our understanding. We could try and put words to it. We can try and make sense of it. But in my experience, the times where God has given me a peace beyond all of my understanding, beyond all of my knowledge, I've realized I can't get from anywhere else. There's no other thing or person that has been able to comfort me like God. My Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. Today we're going to take the next few minutes to talk about the next name of God. And referred to in the Bible is Jehovah, anybody want to guess it? Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, which reads the Lord is my provider. And I just wanted to look up the dictionary's definition of provide, and I'm sure we all know that, but it's going to give us a bit of context to understand this today. The dictionary's definition of provide is, number one, to make available, Number two, to supply or equip. And number three, to afford or yield. So God is the one who will make something available for you or supply you 
or equip you, afford you, yield you with exactly what you need for that moment. So I always like to do this because it's nice maybe to listen to the preacher talk every once in a while, but I think that you have a lot of things to offer, and you got a lot of great knowledge up in that head. So what I want you to do just for the next minute, okay, one minute, is I want you to ask this question to the people that you're sitting with around you, and the question is this. What is a time you were in need and someone provided for you? What was a time where you were in need and someone provided for you? And this is not the go-ahead to, like, spill your guts in front of everybody and say that, I went through the worst time last week, but just, just a, a time where you're like, hey, I remember that there was this moment in my life, and then so-and-so kind of like, they, they, they blessed me financially, or whatever it might be. You got one minute, share that story, whatever came first to your mind, in your head, about the question, what is a time where you were in need, and someone provided for you? And those watching at home, you can do the same things. Ready? Three, two, one, go. See you in a minute. Awesome. Well, if you went to a trade school or college or university, the story I'm going to share with you, you're going to be able to relate to, I think, if you were a okay student like I was. <laughs> um, my first year of university, I was so excited about it, going to Bible college. It was, it was so much fun. And I remember coming up into the winter for our first year of winter exams, which is about a week or two weeks long, master's college and seminary. Shout out to that. Um, and I remember... I remember coming out of that first semester um, into that, that, that last week there of exams, and I had no money to begin with, but like no money left. So I literally had z like negative in my checkings account. Um, I already bugged my parents for money like every weekend anyways when I went home. And I had no gift cards left that I like stored up for like pizza pizza and all the other different places. And uh, the way that our cafeteria worked as well was we had like, a, like a, a meal card thing and I ended up using that all up. So I'm into exam week and I have nothing left to eat except Mr. Noodles. Does anybody here still eat Mr. Noodles? It's okay, we're not gonna shame you. You go, you just, <laughs> good job. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for being honest this morning. Mr. Noodles will save your life. When you are in a pinch, Mr. Noodles will provide. You can get like a whole case of those things for like 30 cents a piece. It's awesome. Love Mr. Noodles, right? And the, the spicy chicken one, it's so good. It's okay, there's no shame with that. And I remember having no money, no gift cards, no calf food, uh, money left for calf food. And I had. Cat food. Calf food. I didn't eat cat food. All right. That would be desperate. If I had to eat cat food, oh man. Yeah. Some people are like, Mr. Noodles is cat food, Carlo. Um, but I remember having none of that left and I ate Mr. Noodles for literally every day for a week straight plus like a week and a half Mr. Noodles for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay. Mr. Noodles all the time. And I remember just like I was just in pain by the end of the week. I looked like a Mr. Noodle. And uh, I remember going home and, and, and telling my mom this. I was like, Mom, like, you know, she, I come home and say, how is school? How is your first semester? How are your exams? It's like, Mom, I need you to make me some food right now. I've only had Mr. Noodles for a week. And long story short, my mom, every time I came home, any weekend from school for the next three years, sent me back to school with a car full of groceries. Can we give our moms a round of applause? We would be screwed without our moms. Amen. Like we, we need that, that mom or dad or parent figure, guardian, whoever in your life. Um, my mom provided for me and we know that there's nothing like a good home cooked meal, right? So good. 
And this idea of provide or provider is seen throughout the scriptures all of the time, overlapping this theme. And today I actually want us to look at the very first time that God is specifically called my provider. And this actually happens in the story of Abraham and Isaac, and it's found in Genesis 22. If you want to turn your Bibles there, we'll start at verse 1. Um, but if not, we have it up on the sky Bible for you, aka the screen. So this is Genesis 22, verse 1 to 29, and it's titled, Abraham Tested. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, and I will show you. That is already enough for me. <laughs> this, is, this is a story, I'll tell you that. Early next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Like, I, I think of us loading our cars and we go on a trip to the cottage. Imagine if we had to load our donkey if we were going on a trip. Anyways, he took his t- two servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he, and, uh, and he carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? His voice is probably like shaky at this point. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I can imagine the rest of their journey up the hill was very silent and awkward. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there was a thicket and he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That's key. Remember this part. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. And then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Now, Isaac, aren't you really glad that your dad's name is not Abraham? Because that would just make the story all that more awkward. I love that you guys are sitting in the front row, and we're talking about this this morning. And when I was given this idea of Jehovah Jireh um, and the Lord will provide, there's lots of different moments in scripture where um, God has called this. And uh, I could have, you know, figured out what would be the perfect scripture that would really uh, emphasize this message. And I couldn't get Genesis 22 out of my mind. I couldn't get the Abraham and Isaac story out of my mind. And to be frank with you, to be completely honest, I did not want to preach the story. 
Why didn't I want to do this? This is a messed up story. This is really, really difficult to read. If you're a parent in the room, you're probably like, Abraham is a total nutcase. This guy was really weird. And our view of God is easily damaged when we read this story if we don't understand the context. But I actually believe that this story holds some really important truths that we can't miss out on this morning. So with a little more context of Abraham's life up until Genesis 22, it's going to give us a better understanding and a wider uh, field of view like God would have over the picture of this story and help us better understand it. And uh, I want to I let you know about a really great resource that's free, and you can even watch it on YouTube. And if you get all of your theology from YouTube, don't do that. That's not good, but I want to I wanted give you a good resource if you're going to go to YouTube anyways, okay? And it's called The Bible Project. Has anybody heard of this before, The Bible Project? It's awesome, okay? It's not a kid's thing. It's not an adult's thing. It's a believer's thing. And so if you love God and you want to learn to love to read his word, but it's just difficult, you're just having a hard time with it, and you want a better understanding of passages like this and other ones, Bible Project is amazing, and they make videos like all the time. They're really, really well done, and they're short. They're not like an hour or two hour long. They're usually like five to ten minutes. So what I want to encourage you to do is when you're reading through Scripture, go onto YouTube and see if the Bible Project has a video that maybe you can watch along with it. And today we're going to look at a bit of a video that kind of recaps the second half of Genesis, which includes bits and pieces of Abraham's story. So we're going to take a few minutes and watch that, and then we'll come back and get into the lessons we can learn from Genesis 22. The Book of Genesis. In the first video, we saw how chapters 1 through 11 set up the basic storyline of the Bible. God has created all things, and he makes humans in his image to rule the world on his behalf. The humans choose sin and rebellion, and so the world spins out of control into violence and death, all leading up to the rebellion and scattering of the people in Babylon. And so the big question is, what is God going to do to rescue and redeem his world? Well, out of that scattering at Babylon, the author traces a genealogy of just one family that leads eventually to a man named Abram, later known as Abraham. And God's promise to Abraham at the beginning of chapter 12 opens up a whole new movement in the story. God calls Abraham to leave his home and go to the land of Canaan, which God says will become his one day. And in that land, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation, to make his name great and to bless him. Now, these promises are connected back to earlier parts of the book. So Babylon had arrogantly tried to make a great name for itself, and that didn't go over very well. But God, in his generosity, is going to bestow a great name on this no-name guy, Abraham. And God's blessing of Abraham echoes all the way back to that original blessing God gave humanity in the beginning. So the question is, why is God going to bless Abraham and his family? And the last line of God's promise makes this clear. So that all the families of the earth will find God's blessing in you. Now this is key for understanding the whole rest of the biblical story. God's plan is to rescue and bless his rebellious world through Abraham's family. And this is why the whole rest of the Old Testament story is just going to focus on this one family, eventually called the people of Israel. This is also why Israel will later be called a kingdom of priests at Mount Sinai. God wants to use them to show all of the other nations what he's like. And ultimately, this is the promise that gets picked up by the later biblical prophets and poets who say that its fulfillment will come through Israel's messianic king, whose reign will bring justice and peace to all of the nations. 
Now, at this point of the story, none of that's clear. You just have to keep reading and watch the promise develop. And so the rest of the book focuses on Abraham and his family. First, Abraham himself, then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons. And the stories about each generation, they're united by two main themes. So first, each generation of Abraham's family is marked by repeated failure. They just keep making really bad decisions that mess up their lives and that put God's promise in jeopardy. However, God remains faithful to them. He keeps rescuing them from themselves and reaffirming his commitment to bless them and bless the nations through them despite their failings. So the Abraham stories. God had promised Abraham a huge family, but on two different occasions, he's afraid for his life because other men are attracted to his wife. And so he denies that he's even married to her, which creates, of course, all of these problems. And not only that, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they can't have children. And so Sarah arranges for Abraham to sleep with one of their servant girls, which also creates all of these problems in the family. But each time, God bails Abraham out. And in chapters 15 and 17, God even formalizes his promise to Abraham with an official commitment called a covenant. This is a classic scene. God invites Abraham to look up at the night stars and to count them. And he says, that's how numerous your family is going to be. And despite all of the odds, having no kids and no way to have any at the moment, Abraham looks up in the sky and simply trusts God's promise. And God responds by entering into a covenant with Abraham, promising that he will become a father of many nations, that God's blessing may come to the whole world. God asks Abraham to mark his family with a sign of the covenant, circumcision of all the male boys in the family. This is a symbol to remind them that the fruitfulness of their family is a gift from God. And so Abraham has lots of kids eventually, and he dies at a good old age. So that's just a quick recap of a little bit about the story of Genesis up until this point. So now that you have a little bit more information on the character and the story of Abraham, it's going to be a little bit easier. I'm not saying it's going to be completely easier, but a little more will make sense when we read Genesis 22. If we try and just read this story and we take it out of that story, it's not going to make a lot of sense. But if we kind of look at it as one big story, it is going to be a lot easier to read. So reco uh, recap real quick on Genesis, what we've learned about Abraham's life. We learned that he's been given a promise from God, and they've made this bond, this covenant, this promise to each other, that he is going to have a family numerous like the stars. And so Abraham's been given this promise. And then Abraham, throughout this promise, has a lot of difficulties believing that God's going to make this happen. He can't have kids with his wife. They're not able to do that, which is so sad and heartbreaking. And, and so they kind of take things into their own hands, and they try and, and make it happen themselves. And I'm not going to recap that because there's kids in the room and stuff. But it's some pretty messed up stuff, right? Like, we would go like, I would never treat my wife like that or my husband like that. It was just really, really weird. Long story short, this story so far shows a lack of trust in God. That Abraham, given a promise from God, he knew God had given him something, was having a hard time showing trust. Now that we have a better understanding of Abraham's life, we can more accurately look at the story of Genesis 22. And I think it could be summed up in this word, trust. This word, trust. So over the next few minutes, I want to propose some lessons that we can learn from Abraham's story and how we can trust that God will be our provider, our Jehovah Jireh. The third, first thing I want to talk about today is that trust that God knows the bigger picture. 
If you want him to be your provider, you want to know and, and just be assured that he will provide what you need, you need to trust God that he knows the bigger picture. And maybe you're in a season of, of life today where you've had these dreams, and, but these dreams seem impossible. And maybe you find it hard because it's a dream that you've had for so long or a promise that you've been holding on to that it's hard to see if God can even make that happen. And Abraham's story is obviously similar. Couldn't have, uh, he was really old. He wasn't able to have kids on his own, made unwise choices. And God has now asked him to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac, which he waited for for so long. And as humans, we read this story in Genesis 22, trying to read it from Abraham's perspective and notice that he has this agony and pain that he probably went through because he had to sacrifice that of what he loved so much. Um, but if somebody were to do that today, if there was a guy named Abraham and that he was gonna, we knew that he was going to sacrifice his son today, and it's like, well, God told me to, first we would send that person to a doctor, and then we would probably send them to prison, <laughs> or one of the two, right? It's just a weird story. But if we take a few steps back, and now that we have a bigger picture, we can actually see that this story is a foreshadow of what was hidden in God's promise to Abraham. In the Bible, God's word to us is a book full of stories and poetry, songs, prayers, prophecies, laws, and more. But it's also full of rich history and morals and ethics. And I would actually argue that without Christianity and without specifically the person of Jesus, the societies in which we live today would actually not exist. The societies that we have that, is, um, uh, that stands for justice, that, that teaches us to love our neighbor, did not exist before Jesus came on the scene. Okay? So without Jesus, we wouldn't have what we have today. And from the very beginning of Genesis, all throughout the Old Testament, we learn about a family, Abraham's line, that brings about Jesus, who is God's plan to redeem his creation. And Abraham and his family would have been a vital part of this plan. And God saw Abraham and had chose him to be a part of this bigger picture. If we go back to Genesis 22, verse 2, it says this. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. And here's the cool thing that I didn't even really know until beginning to study this a little bit more and reading on this. Most biblical scholars would actually agree that this very place that Abraham was called by God to take his son to, the mountain called Moriah, the same place is where Jesus was tried by Pilate and crucified by the Jewish and Roman people. Abraham, if that's true, Abraham would not have been able to understand the bigger picture. That even the location down to the location, was so specific in God's bigger plan. How amazing is that? Like the same place. We, we can read the story and go, Abraham and Isaac, okay, that's like the Father God sacrificing Jesus to atone. Yeah, that's true, and there's imagery and foreshadow there. But it was even more than just a, a cool idea. It actually came down right to the location. Abraham's story is a foreshadow of God providing the ultimate sacrifice who would be his son Jesus to atone for all of creation's sin. But first, before that was to happen, God needed to find the right person that he could trust to begin the family tree that would eventually give birth to Jesus. Perhaps you're in some kind of season today where you've been waiting on this promise that God has made to you and it just seems impossible. And I just want to reassure you that God's promises to us usually seem impossible. And especially if they're left to our own ability. If God makes a promise to us, it's most likely that he's got to do something about it. 
It's not like, hey, you know, Steve, uh, it's God here, and I want to promise you this thing, and you'll figure it out. <laughs> like, good luck. Just let me know if you need some help, but I, I think you got it. It's all good. No, no, no. When, when God makes a promise on our own ability and accord, it's impossible. It's not going to happen just by our own strength or merit. But with script, in Scripture, it actually says in Matthew 19, 26, you may know this, Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible, and that he's speaking to an impossible situation of walking on the water right there. Share a quick story. Um, this past year, uh, Maddie got her first LTO position, and just a, a, a recap of what the school board is like is you start as a supply teacher, and so you wake up at 6 a.m., and you answer a phone call, and you figure out what school you're going to work at that day, and then you drive there and hope that the GPS took you to the right spot, and then you figure out on the drive there uh, what class you're teaching, and then when you show up, you just hope that the teacher that is actually hired to run that but was away that day wrote some good notes so you can be filled in on what to do, and it's really stressful, and you crushed it. You just such a good teacher. Can we give it up for our teachers? Because they seriously have had a year that we can't even understand. So that's, that's, that's supply teaching. It's great, but it kind of swamps. The second kind of tier of that in a unionized position like this is LTO, which is long-term occasional, which means that you kind of um, take, take on a maternity leave or a sick leave. And, and so long story short, this year, um, Maddie got a full-time LTO teaching grade three at the same school she was able to teach at last year. So um, it's, it's more organized. It's, it's easier. She already knows the teachers. Uh, you know where the bathroom is. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's good news. But here's the crazy thing. On our own, that job wasn't going to happen. Um, that job was not going to happen. We knew that God had promised us something specific for this September and this year. And we're like, we know, Lord, that you want it to be full-time. We know that you want it to be close to home. But on our own strength and ideas and, and, and merit, we cannot make this happen. It wasn't going to happen. So long story short, Maddie was able to get this job through like 24 hours. Out of nowhere, the job was already taken, and then somebody left it, and then it got reposted, and then she was able to apply for it, and then she did an interview, two interviews, and then got the job, and then started on Tuesday. She did the interview on Thursday, was hired Thursday evening, and started on Tuesday. It was a whirlwind of a weekend, to say that, at the least. It was crazy, but God provided the exact job that we had been promised and prayed for. And here's the thing. We did not see the bigger picture. We didn't see it. When we prayed and we cried and we had some difficult moments, but God was so faithful. Second thing I want to talk about today is obedience is how we trust. Obedience is our response in showing God how we trust him. Genesis 22, 3 says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him his two sons and servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. The main role we play in regards to trusting God is to be obedient in what he asks of us. And in this story, as we've read it a few times now, there's no fluff. There's not a whole lot of emotion written down in between the lines versus like David and the Psalms. So at first glance, you might think that Abraham, again, was just total crazy. But if we look closer, we can actually imagine, put our imagery to it, the agony, anxiousness, and pain that he went through. For example... In uh, the beginning of verse 3 there that we just read, it says, early the next morning. Can we not pretend like Abraham had a great night's sleep? <laughs> like, there's, there's no way that the day before God's like, hey, Abraham, my dude, I need you to show me that you trust me, so I want you to uh, burn your son alive. Like, <laughs> that's, that's just not, he didn't go like, oh, that's a great idea, Lord. Uh, let me sleep on that, and then we'll get back to it tomorrow. That's not what happened, but that's kind of the way that we read it, because there's not a lot of context written there. 
I don't think he had a good night's sleep that night. I can imagine that he cried out to God in tears to see if there was another way. We look to the New Testament. There's a very similar story that foreshadows it. It's going to help us understand this. Matthew 26, 36 to 39 says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called uh, Gethsemane, which I always say wrong. And he said to them, sit here while I'll go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zeb. Uh, Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is Jesus talking. So uh, stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell to his face on the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Even though Abraham had pain and confusion and all the kind of stuff he was carrying that night, he chose to trust God through the act of being obedient. After all these years of trying to fulfill a promise of having a kid on his own, he came to the conclusion that he had to trust God. And then he had that kid. Maybe you feel like you're in a similar place today. You've been holding onto a promise that God has given you. and Maybe that's even been years ago and it's been difficult to trust him to know, God, are you actually my provider? It's been hard, so you've tried to take things into your own hands to make that happen. I want you to allow Abraham's story to be a reminder today, again, that God is your provider, that he will provide exactly what you need. And your part, my part, is to be obedient in how he asks us to participate in the promise. Let me read that again. He can and he will provide exactly what you need. And our part is to be obedient in how he asks us to participate in the promise. Abraham began this journey where he would have to make the sacrifice. He collected enough wood for it to take place. He brought his son with him. In the same way, Maddie, applying for this job earlier this summer, didn't just stay at home and go, okay, I'm just going to wait till a school magically calls me one day. No, no, no. She studied and studied and studied. She applied for all the jobs that made sense within that idea of the promise that God gave us. And she did her interviews and all that kind of stuff. And in that month, in August, there was moments where we felt defeated and we cried. We tried to sometimes make things happen in our order corn. But as we look back now, we can see that all God was asking of us, all he required is that we would obey him through trust, making the choice to trust. And the last thing I want to talk about tonight is tonight. <laughs> it was a long weekend. Um, but the last thing I want to talk about this morning is that trust, it actually leads to blessing. And as we read the story, it's really easy for our hearts to become hard towards it and towards God and the nature of the story because of the way that it's written and what's included in it. But be assured that this story Genesis 22, Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son Isaac was something very specific for a specific person at a specific time for a specific reason. So I know sometimes what we like to do is uh, picture ourselves in the story and go, okay, what does that mean to me? What's that speaking to me? Uh, God, does that mean I'm going to go through the same thing? Um, I am not convinced that this story and what Abraham had to go through was for you. Or me. In fact, I can't really think of another scripture outside of the story of Jesus where God's like, hey, I really want you to sacrifice people in your family. There's something very specific about this. 
Okay? So I don't want you to take this story today as you, as you go home and as you uh, eat dinner with your family tonight and tomorrow and, and go, okay, God, maybe like, you're, you're going to call me to do something crazy. No, 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 no. This was something very, very specific. So we can't read this story thinking that God's going to ask us such a thing because what it's going to do is it's going to create our heart to be hard. And we're going to start to believe that God is like some evil monster because of what he asked of Abraham and what he'd be asking of us. And to prove that, as a reminder, we actually learned that the angel that God had sent to um, stop Abraham moments before he was going to go through with that act, um, God was not interested in Abraham actually sacrificing his son. As you see the bigger picture and you read the whole story, God was not like, okay, this is something you're going to really have to do. He might have not told all the details, but the whole point of it was trust, not sacrifice. The whole point of it was if Abraham could be trusted. Genesis twenty-two fifteen to 18 says this, the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham for a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and send uh, and stand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You, you see that word blessed a few times, and you see that it's encapsulated by the word obey. Just like we talked a few minutes ago, is obedience is how we trust God. The angel's words to Abraham explain that obedience in trust to God is what actually leads to blessing. Now, I want to I give you a, maybe a, a, a helpful understanding of what God's blessing is. And, and for far too long in Christian communities and circles, and I don't believe this about Bethel in any way, but things that we've seen or watched on TV or maybe things that we've grown up with is this idea of a prosperity gospel, that the gospel of Jesus is so that you can have health and wealth. And that is not really what <laughs> the gospel is about. And let me prove it to you. Jesus's words in John 15, not, uh, 18 to 19 said, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you over the world. That's why it hates you. Mm. Doesn't sound like prosperity to me. Luke 9.23, this is Jesus' words again. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Let me give you one more example. Every single one of Jesus' disciples that we read about died in a pretty horrific way. Some of them um, happened in the scriptures, and others uh, we get from other historical books, and we might not be able to say that they're 100%, but we know that they all died, most likely in a horrific way because of the Roman rule at that time. So let me, let me tell you what happened, most likely. Peter crucified upside down in respect to Jesus. Paul was beheaded, which is... It's not funny, but it's funny when you think about it, that that was a luxury to be beheaded at that time. Because Paul, he wasn't Roman, but because he was born in Rome, he actually had the privilege of not being crucified. And he was beheaded instead. Crazy. We, we, <laughs> imagine that being your privilege. Uh, just blows my mind. Andrew, crucified. Thomas, stabbed to death. Philip, put to death. Matthew, also stabbed to death. Bartholomew was martyred. James was stoned and then clubbed to death. Simon was killed after defending his faith. Matthias was burned alive. Jude was shot with arrows. All I could think was like a Lord of the Rings scene right there. And John possibly died of old age, but was most likely boiled in hot oil. Wow. I don't understand how these people that walked and talked and saw Jesus in the flesh here on earth would have thought that the gospel was about wealth and health. Many times following Jesus can be 
thought that, you know, Jesus wants just to make me happy. But I believe that the gospel of Jesus is actually to make us holy. Blessing doesn't always look like a Disney movie ending. And for me to stand here and tell you that my prayers to God, as I've been believing for a promise for him to provide for me, I can't, I can't stand here and say that they've always been answered in the way that I wanted. Many times it's not. But that doesn't mean that he hasn't been faithful. In the most difficult parts of my life, as I've cried out to God, he has been faithful. His faithfulness does not always look like healing sick ones, helping me financially, but he's always provided me the assurance that I was loved, that I could be given rest, experience a peace when it doesn't make sense. He's always provided for me exactly what I need and what I was going through in a difficult season. I just want to invite the uh, worship team just to come back up, and uh, we're going we're gonna to just declare that song, Jaira, again in a few moments. But God knows exactly what I've needed in my moments, and God knows exactly what you need to. And as we continue to learn to trust him in all things, we will experience this blessing. And But remember, blessing doesn't always just mean money or health. As we've learned from those early disciples, it definitely didn't mean that because they were poor and martyred. But at many times, it can mean that. It doesn't mean that it doesn't fully because I do believe that God still heals. We believe that God wants to heal you. We believe that he wants to bless you financially. And I have experienced both of those things in my life. But that wasn't necessarily the full point of the gospel. So as I conclude today, I want to just do a quick recap just before we respond to what kind of God has been speaking to us in our hearts today. There's many names for God in the Bible. Today we're talking about Jehovah Jireh, meaning that the Lord is my provider. Can you say provider? Provider. This is the first time, Genesis 22, where Abraham is tested in the most painful way and says at the end of it that God was faithful and he provided. His story is one about learning to trust God. And through this passage, trust looked like choosing to know that God sees the bigger picture even when we don't understand all the details. Trust is actually the act that we are responsible for in obedience to God. And we need to trust that ultimately leads to blessing. And the blessing is what God knows what we need. So I just want to invite you to stand this morning as we choose to respond to God in faith. And just for a few moments, I just want us to just gently, we don't need to super hardcore this morning but I, I, I'd like us just in our in our own space just between you and God just for 30 seconds a minute or so we're just gonna we're just gonna lift up praise to him we're just gonna worship him and then I'm gonna I'm gonna call for a response this morning so man would you just lead us in that chorus and instead of taking a moment to say, is there somebody here that needs to respond? Are there some people that want to respond? I just, I truly just believe that we just need to all do this. Because in one way or another, uh, if we were to be honest, we just need God to intervene in some point, some part of our life. So this isn't just for one or two people in the room or somebody on like, like let's all choose just to respond to this morning. So God, we're here we're listening. We just receive what you have for us. And God, I pray for every person in this room 
whether they're on stage, a leader, or a pastor, myself, Lord, those that are attending, God, those watching online, God, we choose to believe. We choose to trust. We choose to obey, to know that you are Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is my provider. Would you just speak that out into existence? The Lord is my provider. Come on, one more time. The Lord is my provider. Yeah, just let that remind your soul this morning. So as we celebrate Thanksgiving, God, I, I thank you that you are faithful, that you are generous. God, you are the one that gives us exactly what we need. And Lord, I pray for the ones that are just having a difficult day or week or season. Lord, would they be reminded that they can turn to you today, that they can turn to you this morning to know, to believe, to trust. Not in a cloud, something up in the air, or a wish, but they can trust a living God who totally can flip our world upside down. You are our provider. God, we trust in you. Thanksgiving weekend, that you'd be encouraged, that seeing friends and family would put a smile on your face. Lord knows we need that. We need that. So in whatever way you're, you're doing that, we just bless you. Have an amazing week. Just a reminder, next Sunday is Flannel Sunday, so make sure you uh, grab an a invite and Minty Bar on the way out to invite a friend or a neighbor. We just want to pack this place out next Sunday, believing that God's going to do some amazing work. Amen? Awesome. Be blessed. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.